Thanks to the band. That was awesome as always. I love being down front and just getting to hear everyone instead of being on stage. You guys are uh, sounding pretty nice today. You can go ahead and be turning to John chapter 4. We're going to be reading about uh, the story with Jesus, and he meets the woman uh, of Samaria at the well. So that's in John chapter 4 again. So as I was thinking about and um, kind of getting ready for what this sermon would be about, I knew that we would be coming directly out of the Lent season and Easter. Um, and during that time, it was a time where we were trying to imitate Jesus and practice uh, what he was doing in the desert fasting for 40 days. Uh, we too were practicing self-denial, and we were telling the Lord that we were more interested in knowing and looking like him than we were in these things that we were giving up. And uh, if you're anything like me, likely the Lord showed you some ways that you struggle with self-denial, because uh, I, I know he definitely did for me, but it, in the good kind of way. And then the Lent season ended, and we finally made it to Easter, and it's just the best. We got to look at his, his life and his death and his resurrection all in this one weekend, uh, and it's one of the best seasons really for the church. But, but what do we do after that? It's been such a good time of building all this momentum, but now we're going to be transitioning kind of back into normal life. And even though that season is incredible and that we have like the Advent season at the end of the year that's really incredible, I know that Jesus meant for the parts in the middle to be equally as great, if just not so specific. And so what I wanted to do today is hopefully kind of help us transition out of this specific Lent and Easter time and back into just normal life. I think if we were to think about all that we celebrated last weekend, we could sum it up in just one quick sentence, and it would be that Jesus came to live and to die and rise again so that we also could live. So as we begin to read here in John chapter 4, I want us to see this story about the Samaritan woman and see maybe one aspect of what Jesus had in mind when he meant for us to live. So I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 6 of John chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole story just so we get the broad overview, and then we're going to go back through it specifically. Okay, so verse 6. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water. In verse 16, Jesus kind of changes the subject. He says, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And here she changes the subject. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And she changes the topic one more time. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let's jump to verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And then to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, which said, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of the word, which said that the woman said, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Okay, so let's jump back up to verse 6. So verses 1 through 5, real quick, had already kind of established specifically where Jesus was, that he was passing Um, through Samaria, and it says specifically where he was at. So in verse 6, it says, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, so that had been noon. It had been really hot outside. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus asked her a question. Or he said, give me a drink. So real quick, I want to say how crazy she would have heard that, that, uh, that question right there. Because most Jewish men would not have said that. Because Jewish men would never have first, they never would have let themselves be alone with the woman. And if it was unavoidable, they never would have talked to her because they were so afraid of falling into any sort of impurity and having to do any more cleansing. So they never would have talked to her. Then they never would have asked to share a cup with her because what he's basically doing because she says he doesn't have a cup. Because if they were to share a cup with a Samaritan, then they felt that that would have made them unclean. So A normal Jewish man never would have asked her that. And then finally, a normal Jewish man would never have talked to that woman. Because remember how it said that she was there at noon, the hottest part of the day. Normally women would go earlier in the morning or later in the evening. And so she was going in the middle of the day to avoid people. And so he would have suspected that something was up and he wouldn't have even talked to her at all. But not Jesus. So let's see how she responds to him asking for a drink in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So she's obviously taken back. She didn't expect to meet anyone that day, much less a Jew who was a man who was talking to her and asking to share her cup. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So let's stop right there. That phrase, living water, that's the primary reason that I stayed in this passage. Uh, 
So remember the whole goal that I had for this sermon uh, was to kind of see one way that Jesus talks about what normal life could be about. And that phrase grabbed me as I was reading through it. Because we know that water is one of the most fundamental parts of our existence as humans. We have to have water. And here Jesus isn't saying regular water. He said living water. And so that really jumped out at me. But what would she have heard whenever he first said living water? That would actually would have been a pretty normal phrase for them back then. It would have been the same words that we would have used for like running water. For them, it would have been in a stream. It would have been associated with being uh, more fresh or clean uh, as compared to water that was in a pool or a well getting potentially hot or stagnant, depending on where they were. And I'm not going to read her response. We already read it in the beginning. But basically, she isn't understanding him yet. At this point, whenever he said that, she's only seeing the physical. But Jesus knows that. And he's going to use that to teach her something new. So verse, thing, verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So that last part, where she says she wants the water, but it's because she doesn't want to have to come back there to get it. It's hot. It's a long way from town. She's tired of avoiding people and not going when everyone else does. She would so much rather just stay at home where she's nice and safe. So what does Jesus do next? He said just right before this that whoever asked for living water, that he would give it. But does he give it to her yet? Not yet. And said he knows that she's not getting it. He knows that she's still on the physical. And he wants to show her something that's in her heart, something spiritual. But he had to show her that, something before she could understand. Sorry. Okay, so let's see what he says. He changes the topics. He shifts from the living water stuff. Jesus says to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. I definitely know that I did not see that coming the first time I was reading through this. I bet that whenever he said that, that it probably would have made her insides cringe a little bit. Because when he said that stuff about her husband, he probably thought, okay, I mean, she, she was thinking, I'm... I'm avoiding all these people for a specific reason. And here we go again. Another person who doesn't want to talk to me. I think she would have probably dropped her head and maybe quietly said it. I have no husband. And when she said that, she didn't lie because she didn't have a husband in the moment. But she didn't get into the details of what was really going on in her life. She knew the truth about her life and she didn't want another person in on that. Her entire town already knew everything about her, and she was going so far out of her way to avoid them. Verse 17. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she she shifts topics. We'll get into that later. So whenever he said that, I think that she would have begun to panic even more. Her worst fears were coming true. Someone actually did know her story, someone else, another person to hide from, another person to shame her and to judge her. And so what does she do? She shifts, she deflects, and she dodges the topic. 
And we don't see Jesus going back to that again. But why did he bring it up in the first place if he never talks about it again? So let's recap what we've talked about so far. Jesus started the story by breaking so many cultural barriers, by even talking to her, much less the things that he said. I think it's important for us to see those cultural barriers because on this side of the cross now, I think it's good for us to see that Jesus doesn't care about what anybody else says about us. He's coming for you specifically, and he's coming for me specifically. He's crazy about us, and nothing can stand in the way of him getting to us. And then he tells her that the water she's coming for isn't really the water that she needs. But when she asks, he doesn't give it quite yet. So I believe that the reason Jesus brought up the stuff about her husband is because he needed to bring up her, her hidden past and her, her present. Because before he could give her what she really needed, he had to show her that her water was failing her. He had to begin to prove that he was capable and the only one capable of giving her the kind of water that, he really need, that she really needed. And so let's keep digging into this. Let's keep seeing why Jesus did it this way. Let's think about the woman's story. The passage doesn't give us a lot of detail as to um, why she's had five husbands and is on another one. We don't know if they all died, leaving her widowed, or she left them. Uh, we, we really don't know, and I think it's okay that we don't know the specifics of that. But what we could all agree on and say is that no woman or no man could go through five marriages and be on working on a sixth one without just being emotionally, maybe even spiritually thirsty. I mean, because again, she's going so far out of her way to, to avoid people, and she's in this bondage that she's locked in until Jesus comes to show her that she's thirsty for something more real. He didn't tell her all that stuff and bring up this hidden stuff to shame her. But what he's getting at is he's trying to heal her. He's trying to wake her up to the truth of who he is and to show her what life can really be about. But before Jesus can heal her wound, he had to press in. He had to show her what's really there. And so if we're thinking about um, what it means to live normal, everyday life with Christ, it starts with this. It starts with letting Jesus press in to show us the things that are really there and to show us the things that we really struggle with so that we can see him in comparison. And we need him to do this for us. As I was just sitting in in this passage and thinking about it, it made a lot more sense to me when I thought about it in context of my kids. I have two young daughters. And uh, this is one of my favorite parts about parenting so far is when, when they do something wrong or something's been done wrong to them, they're still little. They're four and two. So I'll call them over and I'll get down on one knee, put my other knee out and have them sit right there. So I begin to ask them, what's going on? Why are you crying? Why are you, why are you frustrated? Are you mad? Are you mad at me? Are you mad at your sibling? What's the deal? And their little eyes are trying to go everywhere and they're, they're, they're trying to shift the topic already. They don't want to talk about it. But I never let them say, I don't know. I don't know. That's not a good enough am- answer because they're too young to fend for themselves. And to figure out their inner emotions and feelings. We have to, as parents, help to show them what's on their insides so that they can eventually learn to love themselves and learn to see how Jesus loves and uh, accepts them as well. But we're going to keep doing it as our kids get older, as they start coming home, maybe with uh, their first breakups or they're betrayed by the friends that they thought that they had. We don't just ask them if they're okay and then move on when they say yes, letting them deal with it. We'd never do that for them. And even as they get older and maybe start moving off into college or start getting their first jobs, and we see them struggling with their faith, 
or maybe with their performance in that job or in school with their grades. As parents, we're going to remind them that God is big enough to handle every single question that they have and that he doesn't care about their performance and their identity is not wrapped up in those sorts of things. Because if we don't, and if we let them suppress these things, it's kind of like a weed. If we just shovel more dirt on top of that weed, its roots are going to get deeper, and then eventually it's going to come out bigger and stronger. As their parents, we have to help them dig up those things that are really on their insides. And we need Jesus to keep pressing in and doing the same thing for us. Every single one of us has gone through something that has left us wounded or hurt. Maybe just like the woman, you have years of built-up guilt and shame for something that you've done, or maybe something that's been done to you. We believe that no one else can know about it, because it's just too painful to talk about it, to, to relive those things. And so we keep these things hidden, and we go on with our normal lives, acting like everything's fine and everything's good. Or if you were really honest with yourself, maybe we would admit that normal life is just a lot harder than we thought it would be. We feel pressure from work or from friends or from parenting, social pressures to be a certain person. And maybe we're living a lot with these little fears or these anxieties. Fear that maybe we can never be loved or accepted as we are. Or anxieties that we're just not good at the things we do. And maybe one of the most common things, you may even feel hurt or abandoned by God. So what do we do? Just like the woman we deflect the issue internally and we try and move on like it never happened. We tuck these things away. We hope they'll heal. And we just keep moving on. But that's not how it works. We keep going day after day, maybe even year after year. And that part of our heart gets more and more callous. And eventually we may even be blind to these issues. But we're not made to live that way. And if we're not pursuing healing and reconciliation of these problems, no matter how big or how small these things are, if we're not doing that with Jesus, then we're not drinking living water. I'm going to say that one more time. If we're not pursuing healing and reconciliation of these problems, no matter how big or how small, through and with Jesus, then we're not drinking living water. Like we already said, as humans, we're meant to get nourishment from somewhere. And if it's not living water that we're drinking— We're going to get it from somewhere else. And Jesus said in verse 13, you don't have to put it up, but he said, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again. You don't have to turn to it, but I'm going to read us a verse from Jeremiah. I want us to pay attention to these word pictures that God uses to describe himself in light of the things that his people are doing. Jeremiah 2.13, God says, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So a cistern is basically just a jar or a pot or a tank or something like that, but it's meant to hold water. They have to be filled up. And so God is saying here, he said, they've traded me a rushing stream of love and grace and acceptance, and peace, and all these things that we know about God. He's saying they've traded me for something that's empty, something that has no life in it at all. It's like I've been saying, we're we're made to live off and be fueled from water. And if it's not from God, we're going to find it from other places. We're going to look for other things to satisfy our needs. 
but these things will never sustain us. So if you imagine us living life carrying around these, these jars, these pots, doesn't matter how big or how small, it can be different. But we're looking for outside sources to fill these things up. And we're forgetting about or maybe even ignoring the living water that's already inside of us. But the jars can only hold water for just a little while because they're cracked. We made them. They're leaking. And eventually these things that we're filling up, they'll begin to, to leak out onto other parts of our lives. So what am I even talking about? Practically speaking, how are we trading living water for old, stagnant, hot water that we're putting in these jars that we're carrying around with us everywhere? It could look so many different ways. And maybe it's not even intentional all the time. Maybe you're like the woman from our story. You're looking for security and connection to something real. And maybe you're looking uh, for living water. Maybe you're looking for that through relationships. That could be boyfriend, girlfriend. That could be with your husband or wife, even with your kids or your friends or your family. It doesn't matter. Any sort of relationship. We're not feeling the security and connection to Jesus that we really need. And so we put other people in his place. And so we're going to these relationships looking to get water from them. So we're pouring water into these jars and we're drinking it. But then they drain because they're cracked. And so we have to do more and more of that. More swapping out what Jesus has for us for something else. Or maybe we are filling these cisterns with uh, social media or books or TV or just anything to distract us from the fact that life is hard, and sometimes we don't know what to do with it all. We don't know how to handle all these different situations, and rather than going to Jesus to let him sort it out, we just try and distract and numb from the fact that it's really hard. And so again, we're pouring more and more of that stuff into these jars that we're carrying with us, and we're drinking them, but we need more because it's cracked and it can't sustain us. This was a big one for me uh, with work. This is a really big jar that I'm probably like putting on a book sack and carrying the sucker around with me every day. Because I need, I feel like I need validation. I need people to need me because I want to be necessary. I, I want them to think that I'm necessary to have around. I want them to see me as smart. So I'll go through work and I'll pour so much time into work and I'll forsake the things that are important in life just to get more and more of this because I need more and more validation. Or maybe something happened in your childhood So you spend your whole life trying to prove that you're worthy of being loved or accepted. And maybe you're now, as an adult, trying to prove your self-worth to God. You read all the right books. You listen to all the podcasts that you can. But something still feels off because you're trying to earn His love and acceptance. But we don't have to do that. Jesus is here to satisfy every single one of our needs. And pouring more and more of these these things into these jars that we're carrying around is just not the way that we were meant to live. Jesus came to swap out these jars for streams of living water. So we haven't even seen how the story ends yet with the woman, but we can already see that Jesus is coming to do this swap, to do this fix. And he's not coming with condemnation or judgment. He's not shaming her the way that some other people maybe would have. But he's bringing love and compassion. And so right after Jesus did this, Right after he put his finger on her deepest struggle, what does she do? She did what we all probably do, what my my kids do. She felt uncomfortable. She hated talking about that stuff, so she tried to shift. She tried to move. What she was doing, specifically in the story, she's trying to bring up this old religious debate between that the Jews and Samaritans would have had. She's trying to throw Jesus off. 
because all she wants is the topic to be off of her. We're not going to read that, but we're going we're gonna to see in verse 23, we're going to see what Jesus says. He just tracks right with her. He says in verse 23, But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So here he's basically saying, please believe me. That's the way the words would have been written. He's saying a life of worship is going to have nothing uh, to do with your physical location or just these boxes that you check. He's saying, and that, that time is here now. Some people who understand this will begin to worship the Father the way that he made them to worship. Whether you're rich or you're poor or you're a Jew or a Samaritan, he's telling her, People are about to be set free from their old lives, and that's going to be the reason that they worship and follow God. So Jesus' whole mission was to come here to find a bride who was wounded and hurt. He came to find people carrying around these jars that were leaking. He came to set people free from a life of searching for nourishment that was from anywhere but from him. He sees these these buckets that we're carrying around, this water that we're pouring into him, And he wants to show us those things so that he can show us himself as a comparison. And that's what's going to lead to us following him every day and living a life of worship and love for him. In verse 23, it says that God is seeking us. He's not doing this stuff because he's an ego maniac and because he's crazy and has to have it all on him. The reason he's seeking people to worship him is because he knows every single secret thing that we're keeping on the inside. And he knows that we have all these these, uh, these little and big things that we deal with. And he wants to show us these things first so that he can show us himself in comparison. doesn't matter if you've been saved and walked with him for 60 years. He's still seeking you. And it doesn't matter if you don't even know what it means to be saved. Jesus came to show you who he really is. And wherever you are, he wants to continually heal these things that keep, that keep getting brought up with us, even if it's a slow process. He wants to show us how to abide in him in a way that we'll never have to go looking for these other things. We'll never have to find satisfaction and love from work or from relationships. We won't need those things to satisfy our souls when we're connected with him. We don't have to hide or prove anything from him because he already knows us and he's still coming after us. And so after Jesus said that to her, she deflects and she dodges one more time. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He's saying, I am the Messiah. So she still wasn't really understanding who he was, what he was there for. So then he says it very clearly. And this is the first time that we have Jesus saying one of his I am statements. You know, later we'll see him say things like, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the first time that he says, I am the Messiah, it's not in the temple in front of hundreds of religious people. It's not in front of his disciples alone and intimate with him. He tells it to an outcast Samaritan woman who no one cared about. And he's still telling it to us today as well through the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm the Savior you've been waiting for, and I'm the one who's coming to set you free from all the hurt, all these things that you're carrying with you. And I just want to swap those things out. I want to give you myself in its place. So I want to recap this whole thing one more time. 
Jesus exposed her wound and showed her that he truly knew her. He told her that she was getting nourishment from somewhere, from something that would never last. And he told her who he really was. And that he was seeking people to know him and to worship him, but for our sakes. So this whole sermon, again, was to show us how to transfer out of Lent and back into normal life. And so what I want to do right now is kind of give us three practical ways that we can model ourselves after this story. Three ways to see the living water uh, that's already in us as compared to these broken and cracked cisterns that we're carrying around. So point number one, this is probably such an obvious and overused point, but just like the woman, we have to spend time alone with Jesus. If we're going to live the kind of lives that Jesus had in mind for us to live, we have to create space for him to be able to tell us what he wants our lives to be all about. And podcasts and books and even sermons from this stage, all that stuff is so important, but it's not a substitute for individual and personal time alone with him. Because if we're only doing the books and if we're only listening to podcasts or other things like that, it's kind of like, I was thinking about it, it's kind of like the Cliff Notes version of abiding. We want to jump right to the answers without sitting and waiting for Jesus to talk to us specifically. Maybe we think that we're not smart enough to be able to read the Bible and understand it for, our, for ourselves. Or maybe we think that we're not holy enough that Jesus could never actually tell us these things specifically. And so one thing that I know that I do is, if I'm struggling to raise my kids, I'm going to go find a book on it. If I am frustrated all the time with something and I can't figure out what's going on, I'm going to look up a sermon on it. I want to try and have someone tell me what's going on. Basically, I want somebody like Dallas Willard to tell me how to live my life. But like we saw in the story, Jesus wanted to be the one himself to show her what the real issue was. And so all those things, the books, the podcasts, the sermons— it's amazing and even necessary. We, we have to do these things, but it should not come at the expense of spending time alone with Jesus. And when we do it, it should always be in tandem and to supplement our personal time with him. And so a little bit of confession time for me here. I experienced this a few weeks ago when I was first starting to prepare for this. I was starting to figure out what I was going to do, so I was looking through the Bible, and then when I kind of honed in on a passage, I was reading as many commentaries as I could. I was trying to uh, see what was there, but then after a few days, I started noticing myself getting more frustrated with things. I, I was having a harder time distinguishing between my work life and my home life, and I felt frazzled. It's not because I was overly busy, because I've been there before, but this was different. And then as I made it through the story, Jesus showed me. He showed, he showed me that I wasn't spending time with just him. That I'd been reading the Bible only as a history book. I was basically pulling the Holy Spirit out of it, trying to find what I wanted to find in it. And for me, it was all head and no heart. I wasn't doing bad things. I'm not trying to tell you that doing those things are bad, but I wasn't spending time with Jesus. I wasn't abiding and connecting with him. Or in the context of this sermon, I wasn't drinking living water. I was drinking out of, I guess, what I would call my religious cistern. And it's amazing how fast these things drain out. So I know I've said this a few times, but I really know that life is super tough and busy and can be really confusing. But when we face something, whether it's external or internal, the first and the primary place that we have to go 
for help and guidance and just satisfaction can't be but anywhere with Jesus himself. Not in other people, not what they say Jesus is all about, but what the Bible says is what Jesus was all about. And then to drive this home even more, we read this earlier in verse 40. It said that the people of the town asked Jesus to stay with them. So the woman spends time with him, and then she goes to them, tells them all, all about what Jesus did in her life. They believed her, but then they had to come back and they talked to him. They spent time with him, and then they asked Jesus to stay with them. We can't just take other people's word for it. So it really all comes down, to this point comes down to us just asking Jesus to stay with us throughout the day. And he's going to say yes, because he's never really left us. In the mornings when we wake up, when we're driving to work, when we're at work, on our lunch breaks, when we're driving home from work, we can talk to Jesus and he can tell us about what's going on in our lives. And so again, I hope this isn't confusing and you're not hearing me say that podcasts and books are bad because it can be stuff that God is definitely in. But simply doing godly things is not a substitute for time alone with God. Okay, the second way that we can model our lives after this story. So what did the woman do after she spent all this time with him and he revealed all this stuff to her? It says in verse 28 that she left her water jar with him. So before she met Jesus, she was living this callous life. She was trying to make the best of everything that she had. But when she met Jesus and actually spent time with him and understood who he was and what he was there for, it changed something inside of her. She didn't really know the next 20 steps that it would take to go for and to find healing and reconciliation and all that kind of stuff. But she knew in that moment that she was safe to put her cistern down. Because a true interaction with Jesus may not always lay out a really long timeline like we want it to, but in those moments of connecting with him, we always leave with hope and with peace that he's with us and for us. At the very beginning, we looked at John 14, and we saw that the Holy Spirit is with us, and that Jesus gives us his peace, and it's so much different than anything else the world can give us. So when we spend time with Jesus, he may show us that we have these things we're trying to fix or suppress on our own. But he wants to tell us that he's the only one that can fix these things. We have this Bible with story after story of him swapping out the old for the new. So for us to live the life that Jesus meant for us to live, we have to be willing to trust him enough to just leave the water jar with him. That's the first thing. So the last thing. So the woman has spent time with Jesus. She had left her old water jar with her, her old way of life with him. And then she went and got people to bring into it with her. So like I said in point number one, spending time alone with Jesus is the most important thing for us to do, but it's not the only thing. The very people that the woman was hiding from became the people that she took with her to God. We have to be willing to step out of fear and hiding from these things that we're suppressing, thinking that no one else cares about. And we have to be to bring people with us to Jesus. She led with her wound, not with just superficial things, not just superficial conversation. Because what we all have in common is the fact that we need Jesus desperately every single day of our lives. No one, not one of us has it perfect. Not one of us has it figured out. We all need him every single day. 
And we could totally live our lives going to community groups or spending time with your personal friends with no intention of talking about these things, acting like life is great or fine and normal. But we can't be surprised when years later we're still struggling with these same things. If we're honest with each other, we'd be so amazed at the things that we have in common. If you lead with, hey man, I'm, I'm anxious about work and I don't know what's going on, people would probably say that they're in a similar boat. So remember the order. Time with Jesus alone first, then the people. And remember the role of the people. They're not the source of living water. The people are here just to uh, help remind us of who the source is. So the band can go ahead and make their way back up as we, as we begin to close. We're going to spend the last part of the service doing what was modeled here for us. We're going to first invite Jesus to stay with us here in these moments. We're going to ask him to reveal any wounds or any hurts or any things that were, that were just suppressing, little or big, it doesn't matter, or the things that we're frustrated with. We're going to ask him to remind us of who he is and how he came for us, and that nothing can stand in his way. And that he cares about us and he's crazy for us. We're going to ask him to show us these things. And then we're going to tell him if we're getting our water source from anywhere else but him. And then if he shows us these things, then we're going to tell him that we trust him enough to leave these things behind. We're going to see that we don't need these things anymore. That we need him and we need time with him. And simply, I love this phrase I heard in this lyric in this song. And it just said that I'm, it said, I'm in. Jesus, whatever you want from me, I'm in. It's okay if it's uncomfortable or if it feels weird or makes me, yeah, it makes me feel weird. I, I trust you, Jesus, and I want what you have for me. I want to live the life that you have for me. We're going to do the same thing that we do every single week. We're going to have communion lines open on both sides. There's going to be people saying, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ poured out for you. And by us taking that little piece of bread and dipping it in the juice, as us saying, Jesus, whatever you want, I'm in. That I believe in who you are, who you say you are. The steps are always open to come and pray at, not because they're magical or because you pray here and something magic happens to you. But sometimes it does us good to just get up out of our seats and come and talk to him. Real talk. Because he can handle anything that we're thinking. Our prayer request stations are going to be set up on both sides and our giving stations. And then some people will be down here in the front to pray with you if you want to pray about anything. It doesn't matter what it is, people want to pray with you. If you know you've never walked with Jesus before, but you know you have all these things that you're dealing with on a daily basis and you see that Jesus has something different for you, we'd love to have those conversations with you. But whatever you do in these moments, I pray that it just blesses you deeply. Pray with me. Uh, Jesus, we just love you so much. We see that you came for us. We see that you didn't care what anyone else thought of us. But you still come for us over and over and over again. Not just one time when we first believed in you. But you're still coming for us. You live this 
wonderful and amazing life. But you left the cross behind. You did that so we could too. Jesus, we see your heart. And we want to follow you. We want to surrender our lives to you because we see that that's the way that we're really meant to live. Every day. Not some, not some one time a year thing. But that you, you want us to spend time with you every day. Because you love us and you care for us. And you want to help us pull these weeds up. These things that are weighing us down. And you want to do that for our sake. So we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. You can go ahead and stand up.